Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. This week, we're seeing more and more things starting to happen in soccer again. Teams are starting to practice, and the NWSL is on almost every night, at least it seems, which has been absolutely amazing. It's really exciting to have our sport back. I just hope people are being very safe and cautious about it. I know some things will look very different, at least for a while. It is easy to feel down during these times, but we have to keep our heads up and work really hard because we'll be back on the pitch before we know it. I really enjoyed my time with today's guest, Evie. You've heard me talk about Duke Tiggy before, and I know Addie Gay, one of the founders, is a sponsored athlete by Roish. If you watch the social media and even printed catalogs, you might see her pictures showing off the gloves. At convention, I visited with Evie, and so many people came up and talked to him. He is another person in our beautiful game that is really worth getting to know. I hope you enjoy the episode. Today's guest is Eric Vauder, or better known as Evie. Evie has coached at numerous levels and is one of the most respected goalkeeper coaches in the game. He is now the director of goalkeeping at Tennessee Soccer Club. Evie has been around sports his whole career and has influenced many coaches and goalkeepers alike. So, Evie, would you like to take a second and share a little bit more about yourself? Uh, well, I think you pretty much covered it. I, you know, I've, I've been coaching uh, a long time, and uh, during that, I think uh, I figured out over four decades, uh, which makes me extremely old. And um, during that time, I've been fortunate in that, uh, you know, I've been able to work mostly with, I mean, for the most part with goalkeepers as a goalkeeper coach and um, have forged many great relationships that, you know, I still uh, still have today, even though some of the goalkeepers have retired and, and moved on to other things in their lives. And, um, but I've always enjoyed, you know, I've always enjoyed the one-on-one coaching that you, that you get when you're a goalkeeper coach. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I've coached, coached youth teams and, and some college teams as a head coach, and I didn't find it as much fun as uh, just working with the keepers. On this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. So first, what does the beautiful game mean to you? Uh, you know, the beautiful game to me is, has been um, – Oh, it's, it's, it's been a love affair, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I didn't start playing until I was a sophomore in high school. And um, uh, I have told the story many times that, you know, this was back in 1970. The fall of 1969, actually, is when I, when I started playing soccer. Um, so we didn't we didn't have goalkeeper coaches. We didn't really, we didn't even have goalkeeper gloves back then. And, um, you know, so you just sort of, you just sort of rolled along and studied as much as you could. And, and I was lucky because my dad was a, a commercial airline pilot and one of his routes, the regular routes was Mexico city. And so, uh, when, he asked one weekend, he said, you want to go to Mexico City and watch a soccer game? I was like, yeah, that'd be great. You know, I didn't know what I was getting into, but it, it sounded good. 
And so uh, regularly after that, I would, when he was going to Mexico City over the weekends, I would fly down with him. Uh, the gentleman who picked up the, the air crews and took them to their hotel was a big Club America fan. And so he would always get his tickets to go watch Club America at Aztec Stadium. And that's kind of how I learned how to play goalkeeper because I would watch the pros and just go home and try to do what they did. Cause we didn't, like I said, we didn't have any goalkeeper coaches or anything. So I think, you know, and from then on, it was just, I, you know, I, I always wanted to, to be the best I could. I wanted to play professionally. And, and after playing professionally, I wanted to get into coaching because I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed being around the game. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? Uh, you know what? I think, that's a good question. And I think the the thing that I try to do when I coach uh, goalkeepers, Anna, is encourage them, you know, and uh, encourage them to, you know, my coaching philosophy is I'm going to prepare you to get to the next level, whatever that level may be, depending on where you are now. You know, if you're a middle schooler, then we're going to get you to the high school team. You know, if you're a high schooler, we're going to, we're going to get you to college. Uh, if you're in college, we're going to get you to the pros. If you're a pro, we're going to try to get you, you know, in front of the, the, you know, get you good enough to be on the national team. And I think you do that by encouragement. And I think you do that by honesty uh, with the goalkeeper. And I think you do it by encouragement. And, you know, uh, so I think, you know, if, if I was to say that, that, that there's anything that I've added to the game, which I don't believe, but um, I think for the kids that I've coached, you know, that's, that's what I've been able to instill in them is, you know, you're never, you, you know, you're always working for perfection. You're never going to get there, but the, the, the delight in it is in the journey, not so much in the, in the, the final outcome. How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? Uh, you know what? I, uh, that's, a, that's another great question. Um, I believe that you revere the game first. You know, I don't think anybody's above the game. I don't think anybody's better than the game. I don't think anybody should ever be in a position where they take uh, the game of soccer or football for granted. It's, it's, it's what we all do. It's what we all love. And it's, it's, it's what we all serve ultimately, um, even though we may not ever profess that. So I kind of wanted to start from, from the beginning. Was it hard for you to start playing goalkeeper only in your sophomore year? No, it wasn't. I mean, uh, you know, I played football prior to that American football and I enjoyed it. Um, but I went to, a, I grew up in New Hampshire and I went to a school where uh, hockey was sort of the main sport. And so everybody played a fall sport to kind of get ready for hockey. Now I, I was not a good hockey player. Uh, I mean, I was good enough to make the team, but that was about it. Um, and so I was playing football and my, my hockey defense partner, I, I enjoyed football, but it, it, you know, I didn't have the passion for it that uh, I think you have to have for sports. And so I was looking for another sport and my, my, my defense partner said, well, he played soccer. And he said, why don't you come play soccer? And so I said, you know, sounded like a good plan. And so I spent that summer, you know, running and learning how to kick a ball and all that stuff that you do when you decide you want to play soccer. And uh, about a week before tryouts, I used to mow, like most kids, I used to mow lawns for money in the summer. 
and I pulled the mower back over my toe or back over my foot and cut off the toenail on my big toe. Uh, and, um, you know, sliced it right through the sneaker and the whole thing. So now I can't kick a ball. I've been training for this all summer long and now I can't kick a ball cause I've got a giant toe, you know, it's all swollen and all there's no toenail. So I go out to practice, uh, throughout the first tryout. And I cut a hole in my cut a hole in my my sneaker because I hadn't bought shoes then because my dad was like, well, we're not going to buy soccer shoes until you make the team. So I go over to the coach and I you know I point point to my toe. His name was Chet Willie. I said, Coach Willie, I can't. I want to try out, but I can't kick the ball. And he said, Well, can you catch a ball? And you know, and I'd played baseball and everything. And, and I said, yeah, I can, I can catch a ball. He goes, well, we kind of need a goalkeeper. You want to play in goal? You don't have to kick the ball much. And so uh, I was like, sure. So I went back and, you know, stood in the goal and guys shot balls at me and I caught some of them. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I think, I don't know if I ever dove for a ball properly, but, you know, I, I, I had seen enough or knew enough about soccer that I knew you had to sort of, you know, fall to the ground to save a shot or whatever. Uh, so I did that. And the next thing I knew, you know, I was, I was the goalkeeper, uh, which, which was great. I thought it was great because one, you didn't have to run, you know, two, you got to wear a different color shirt than everybody else. So like the girls in high school know who you were first. If they ever went by a soccer game, they got like, who's the guy with a different color shirt. And it, you know, and, uh, and so that, and, and three, you know, it, it was a, it was a ch- huge challenge, as you know, from being a goalkeeper, part of it is the challenge of trying to keep your team in a winning position or even better shut out the other team. So I, those three things I really enjoyed. You had mentioned you'd watch from the Aztec stadium. Did this develop your passion for the game? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, if you're in Mexico, even for a even for a league game, never mind an international game. But if you're in Mexico and you're in Aztec Stadium, you know, the, uh, you you are you are surrounded by passionate, crazy fans, you know, and you can't help but think, "Wow, I'm I'm part of something that is huge here," you know. And uh, so that was kind of a that was kind of an impetus to to to, as you say, have an idea of how important the beautiful game is. How did you then develop into a collegiate player? Well, I think, you know, back then uh, I pretty much trained myself, to be honest with you, because we didn't have, as I said, we didn't have goalkeeper coaches or anything like that. Um, I decided, you know, as soon as I started playing, I had decided that I wanted to be a professional. And um, so, you know, I, I was lucky in that it was, I was able to, play for three years in high school. There was no such thing as club soccer back then. Um, we did have a, we did have a summer league in our town. So you, you know, I was able to play in the summers. And so for three years, I just, I just played soccer all the time. And then um, when it came time to go to graduate from high school and go, you know, start looking for college, I knew that I wasn't quite mature enough uh, to go straight into college because, um, you know, I was born in September. So I was a late kid. I was younger than most of my classmates. And so I was looking into, uh, and up in new England, there's quite a few private schools and a lot of them have what they call postgraduate years, you know, specifically for kids like myself who need another year of maturity, need another year of, 
uh, you know, better grades, uh, academics before they choose their college. So I found a school up in Bridgeton, Maine, uh, uh, called Bridgeton Academy that had a decent soccer program. And so I looked into it and extended, sort of extended my high school and my training as a goalkeeper for another year before I, uh, before I looked into college. So you had mentioned training yourself. Does this help you keep training sessions simpler as you coach? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, as you know, but for being a goalkeeper, your number one job is to keep the ball out of the goal, you know, and, and how you do that is really immaterial. As long as the ball doesn't go in the goal, everybody's happy, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, I think, I think by teaching, by learning something on your own, um, you know, you, you, you become much, you become more of a master of it because you have to, you have to experiment and see what works and what doesn't. Um, And, and so uh, I think maybe not having a goalkeeper coach who would like nowadays when we train goalkeepers, we lay everything out for them and say, okay, this is what we're working on today. And this and blah, 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 do this, do that. You know, back then it was, okay, I worked on my catching. You know, I worked on kicking the ball because I knew goalkeepers had to do that. Um, Although not as, it was certainly not as prevalent as it is today, playing with feet. Um, And so I think, I think sort of, you know, figuring out your own journey and charting your own uh, way to get to where you wanted to get helps you, helps significantly in keeping things simple and keeping things focused. Why do you think you see coaches overcomplicate the game sometimes? I think uh, that coaches do that because they have too much time to think about it. You know, I think every, everybody, and, and I, to be honest with you, Anna, I don't think anybody sits down and goes, man, I can't wait to complicate the game today. You know, I think, they just, you know, you start thinking about stuff and, and you know, you, you start dissecting it and um, you, you know, you, you, you overcomplicate it. You know, I, I, can, give you an, I can give you a great example. Um, I'm trying to learn, I'm, I'm learning how to fly. I'm trying to get my private pilot's license. Okay. And so they take you, when you're learning how to fly, they take you into all kinds of different aspects of aviation. But they keep coming back to, you know, you fly the airplane first. That's what you do. That's what you're there for. You're there to fly the airplane because you're up in the air. And if you don't fly the airplane, you crash. And so I think, you know, I think it, it's sometimes, you know, the other, stu- the other stuff that, that you were talking about where you maybe get it complicated, that's great. And that helps a little bit in your overall goalkeeping. But that's not the, that's, that's not the, the the bottom line the bottom line is keep the ball out of the goal you know and i think sometimes coaches you know in their effort to help you you know kind of go too they kind of go too crazy you know and they don't keep it simple enough or they don't bring it back to the basics you know it's one thing to work for example like you know working with on playing the ball with feet Okay, so we're going to have a session on playing the ball with feet. Okay, well, that's great. So I'll set up a session as a goalkeeper coach. I'll set up a session where let's say it's, let's say we're training for an hour, okay, and and 
really what I want to work on, uh, the majority of thing is playing with feet. So of that hour, you've got 15 minutes to warm up, okay? You've got another 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes of technical work, and we can make sure that we're working on our feet there. And, and if we want to make the majority of that time working with our feet, fine. And then to finish up, though, and in the midst of working on feet, we should always have the occasional shot on goal that you're having to handle or, you know, crosses or whatever you're dealing with at that time. Because, as I say, that's, that's your main job. Your main job is to keep the ball out of the goal. So during this time, a lot of players are having to train on their own. Have you seen virtual training and do you recommend it? Yes, I do. I've seen it. I recommend it. I think, you know, as you just mentioned, one of the things you want to avoid is the overcomplication of, of you know, virtual training. Um, I can tell you from my own personal experience, when I was growing up, uh, we, had a, we had a kickboard or a kick wall. And, you know, I would just take the ball out to the kick wall uh, by myself and kick it against the wall and catch it, right? And kick it against the wall and catch it. And then just kick it against the wall and see how you know, play two touch, even though I didn't know what it was called two touch at the time. Uh, you know, and, and just, you know, become comfortable with the ball, become comfortable with the ball. As a goalkeeper, you want to become comfortable with the ball coming to you, getting your body behind it, catching, you know, putting your hands in the right place, catching the ball. You want to be comfortable about that because that needs to be kind of muscle memory so you don't have to think about it when you're playing because things are happening too fast. So, uh, you know, uh, I think virtual training, while it's boring, you're not with your team and all that stuff, and I get all that, but I think it's good for you. You know, I think, like anything, too much of it is not good for you, and we're, we're unfortunately going through a time right now where we have to, you have to be by ourselves too much, which is no fun if you play a team sport. So I want to jump back a little bit to your playing. Do you have any specific memories of playing abroad or at professional levels? I played professionally in New York after after college. Um, uh, I have great memories uh, of that. I, it was a it was a great time. I mean, we <laughs> we, we didn't it didn't make any money back then playing professional soccer. It was you you did it because you were young and you you could you know. Um, but uh, the, I still have uh, you know, and this was back in nineteen seventy eight, seventy nine, and eighty. And I still have friends that I talk to all the time on Facebook that were on my team. I mean, now we're all old guys, but um, you know, the great thing about that is, you know, the older you get, the better you, you were, you know, one of those deals. So, uh, you know, that's, that's what I took away from, from playing pro was, you know, my, uh, I'd accomplished a goal that I'd set for myself. Uh, I made some great friends uh, doing it. Um, I was able to play at a high level and I enjoyed that and it helped my coaching career down the road. While you were playing, did you ever imagine that you were going to coach? Oh yeah. I knew all, all along that I would stay in the game because as I said, when we started, I loved the game, you know, and, and I knew all along that, um, you know, uh, I wasn't going to be able to play forever and I wanted to stay around the game. And so when I played I think there were three, maybe four Americans on the team. The rest of the guys were English, Irish, some South Americans. So I would ask these guys, you know, all the time, why, why, why do we, why do you do this? Why do you do that? These were field players, never mind goalkeepers. You know, what, what, what's the point of this? And I just, you know, I kind of stored it all in my memory because I knew at some point I would be coaching and and I could, 
I can reflect back on that stuff to help my coaching. How were you able to make a living when only coaching goalkeepers at that time? You know, I wasn't. I always worked in soccer specialty. Uh, I always worked in the sporting goods industry. Uh, a lot of times when you're a goalkeeper coach, you have to have parallel business paths so that you can afford to be a goalkeeper coach. There are very few people in the United States who make money, who make a living, you know, a good living just being a goalkeeper coach. So you have to find something that, that you can be a goalkeeper coach, but you can, you can earn a, earn a living, uh, be it business or whatever, but you have time as well to coach goalkeepers during the season. And, and uh, I've always been able to make that work. How were you able to get your first coaching job and what was that like? My first coaching job was in between seasons when I was playing pro. Uh, my college coach uh, was a gentleman named Hank Steinbrecher who went on to run U.S. soccer for many years, particularly um, during the 1994 World Cup. He was the secretary general of U.S. Soccer Federation. Uh, he was coaching at Appalachian State at the time, so I would play up in New York, and then when the season was over, usually in end of September, I'd, I'd go down to Appalachian State, take some classes, and coach there. And again, you know, the real reason was just to stay involved in the game, and um, uh, so my, my first coaching job was working with the goalkeepers at Appalachian State for a couple of years, and then after that, uh, a friend of mine who I played with in college was the assistant coach at Sangamon State University in Springfield, Illinois, and they needed a goalkeeper coach. So I went to, you know, we moved to Springfield and I coached there for a couple of years. And then I was able to become the goalkeeper coach at Duke University, where I was for about eight and a half, nine years. So my dad and I joked that I should ask you, did you have gray hair before or after you coached Bushy? <laughs> um, I had gray hair. I had gray hair uh, during coaching Bushy. I don't. I don't think. I don't think Bushy helped. You know. I don't think he accelerated the 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 white hair or the gray hair. I think that just came along naturally. But uh, um, there were. You know. I mean. But <laughs> Bushy by no means was the only goalkeeper that gave me gray hair. Let's put it that way. <laughs> So what were some of your favorite memories coaching with Bushy or just coaching in general? You know what? Uh, all, of, all of the goalkeepers that I've worked with um, at the collegiate level particularly have been, have been fun to work with. And I have great memories of all of them. Um, I've always kind of judged. I've said this before. I've, you know, people say, well, how do you judge yourself as a goalkeeper coach or as a coach if you've been successful you know, and I've been lucky in that I've been on teams that have won national championships and that kind of thing. But I think, I think with an individual coach, uh, well, maybe with any coach, you know, I always use sort of a, a meter of if I was invited to their wedding, I'd made an impact on their life, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've, been, I've been very fortunate. I've been invited and attended many weddings of my goalkeepers, you know. I will say there's a few that I was not invited to their wedding. And so I guess I look back on those days as failures, but um, overall, you know, I, I've enjoyed everybody that I've worked with and each goalkeeper gives you special memories. Um, uh, you know, uh, and most, most of the memories, you know, funnily enough are not of uh, winning games or anything like that. They're, they're of, uh, training and have, you know, having laughs while you're working hard and, um, 
and that's kind of what you cherish, I think, at the end of your career. So why is it so important to have fun times or laughs, even while training? I think it's really important because it's hard work, as you know. Goalkeeping is hard work. And um, so I think it's important, particularly if, if I'm coaching younger goalkeepers or high school goalkeepers or college goalkeepers, you know, that it can sometimes turn into a grind. Every day you got to go and you got to put on the long stuff and you got to jump up and down on the ground like a fish on a dock. And, you know, you're not always playing in great, great grassy, soft areas. You know, sometimes it's you're playing on turf and it's really hot or sometimes you're playing on sand or rocks and you're scraping yourself and, and you're doing all this to get better. And sometimes that can be a grind. So I've always believed that whoever's leading the, the session or the coach needs to make it fun at the same time, uh, make sure that the goalkeepers understand that, yeah, this is, this is hard work. And um, I, I have a saying that I've always shared with my goalkeepers is there's two H's in goalkeeping. It's hot and it hurts, you know, and if you can, if you can accept those as a goalkeeper, you know, then we'll have some fun. But if you can't accept the fact that it's hot because you got to wear long stuff to protect your body and that it hurts no matter what you do, then, you know, maybe it's time for another position. How can you help players who may not want to put in the extra work? Well, I think the first thing you have to do is um, convince them that A, they can be successful, uh, B, that their success will make them feel good about themselves and make things more fun, and C, you know, while we're working toward whatever goal they've set – you know, we're, we're going to work very hard, but, but we're going to have fun too. You know, I, I can tell you for example on that, uh, when you're coaching in college, everybody has a spring season. Okay. Well, college kids, I mean, they kind of enjoy the spring season maybe for the first week, but then spring season, you don't, you're not playing that many games. You know, you're working, you're training all the time. Right. A lot of schools, you're training early in the morning, right? You're doing it before class. It's cold. It's nasty. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not what you would call a fun environment. Plus, you don't really have anything to look forward to, like a, a match at the end of the week. Um, so sometimes as a coach, you know, we'd be out there training the goalkeepers and we'd be working by ourselves, for example. And you can tell that they're just not into it. They just, you know, the group of three or four goalkeepers, whatever you have, they just assume be somewhere else, mostly like 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 maybe back in bed sleeping because it's early in the morning. So you kind of wait for, for somebody to make a great save, and then you say, "All right, goalkeeper meeting at Starbucks. Get your stuff. We're going to Starbucks." You know, and and you have to you have to know those times to do things like that to keep it exciting and to keep it interesting for the kids because you know, the majority of people aren't going to go on and play pro they're playing in college and that's, they're happy with that. And, but again, it needs to be a, it needs to be a, you know, a fun experience. And so you have to know, you have to know when to coach hard and when to, to let your foot off the pedal. And I've always, I've always said that the, the, the hardest thing about coaching is knowing when not to, you know, it's knowing when, you know what, we're going along the way we should be right now. We're all kind of on cruise control. Let's not, let's not mess it up. 
So you had mentioned protective gear a little bit back. I personally have a decent amount of protective gear, but I noticed some of my players my age don't really wear protective gear. What do you encourage players to wear? I have a rule when I coach is that, you know, when you show up, we'll warm up. You know, you can warm up in your T-shirt and shorts, and that's fine. But when we start training and goal in earnest, right, when it's time to go to ground and it's time to work hard, you have to put on a long sleeve shirt and you have to put on three quarter, at least three quarter length pants. Okay. Because it protects your body from, you know, from hitting the ground over and over and over again, you know, cause as you know, everyone from training, you hit the ground, you know, a million more times in training than you ever do in a match. Mm-hmm. You know, you might hit the ground in a match six times, you know, in training, you hit, you hit the ground six times in like the first minute, you know? And so just be and, and and goalkeeping, as you know, is a position where it is probably the position in soccer where you have to open yourself up to injury to get effective training for what you do. Field players don't really have to do that. You know, they can they can pull out of tackles or they can, you know, they're shooting or whatever. Heading maybe is a little bit dangerous, but the goalkeeper, for him or her to get ready, you know, you gotta dive, you gotta hit the ground, you gotta do all the goalkeeper stuff. Um so you you have to protect your body because, you know, the wear and tear eventually will catch up with you. And if you don't if you don't take measures to protect yourself, then that wear and tear is going to catch you quicker. Have you ever had players refuse to wear protective gear? Uh, yes, I have. They usually come around to my way of thinking. <laughs> So do you have a certain age or gender that you prefer to coach? And no. why is it? No, I don't. Goalkeepers are goalkeepers. You know, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I think any coach will tell you it's, it's kind of fun to, tr- to, to coach pros because you usually have three or four and they're all kind of the same level that, you know, one or one, one or two is above the rest of them, but you know, they can all hit a ball where they want to, uh, you know, they all work hard. And a lot of times, you know, People ask me, you know, how long do you train pros? Usually about 40 minutes. You know, you put pros through their paces and they're doing everything they're supposed to. After about 40 minutes, that's all you need. You just got to keep them sharp. Um, so that's fun. But I, you know, I, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the things uh, that I found this fall, this past fall with, with our club team, I, I had a, a knee replacement operation scheduled for October. So I really couldn't hit a ball until I got a new knee. And so I, I had the little guys, I had like the eight year olds and the nine year olds and the 10 year olds and that I had a riot, you know, and again, because you, you try to make it fun for them, you know, and eight year olds and nine year olds and 10 year olds, you know, let me ask you this question. What do you think is the first thing that you have to teach guys that age? Probably how to catch a ball to start with. Yeah, but even before I would, you're 100 percent correct. But even before that, you have to teach them not to be afraid of the ball in order to catch mm-hmm. it. You know, because you know I don't care who you are. If you're eight years old and a ten year old shoots at you, you you know your initial your human reaction is to get out of the way. You know, so you have to teach mm-hmm. them. You have to teach them. Hey, you know, yeah, this ball's coming at you. You have to be willing to stand there, and you know, sometimes it's going to hit you in the nose, and that's just part of being the playing the position. Uh, you know, again, you have to, you have to make it fun for them to learn those lessons or to learn during training what we're working on, but you can't spend 
45 minutes on just catching because everybody will start looking at airplanes and, and flowers and, you know, you lose their attention. So you got to keep on, you got to keep them engaged. So I'm going to share a bit of a personal experience. So around January or something, I went to a camp shutout camp and I got nailed in the face. And then I went to another camp and I got nailed in the face again. And then after that, I kind of had a mental block. Mm -hmm. How can you help players get over that? I think the first thing you do is, you know, your coach should sit down and say, okay, you got hit in the face. Welcome to the club. Take a number. You know, everybody who's a good goalkeeper gets hit in the face. Right. Um, and uh, so that's number one. Number two is then you, then you talk about, you know, like, okay, so Anna, what did you remember about getting hit in the face? You know, were your hands ready or did the ball go through your hands and hit you in the face? Or maybe you didn't see the ball quick enough to react to it. I mean, what happened? Well, for me, the first one, it was during a keeper wars. So I was right in the front trying to stop the ball and I just didn't have a reaction time to stop it. Yeah. yeah. And then the second one, it was during a drill and I was standing behind the net <laughs> and got nailed right there when I was picking up balls. Okay. And so you were bending over, picking up balls, probably not looking at the balls that were coming and bam, you got hit in the face. Yeah. Or you, just as soon as you stood up, whack, right? The mm -hmm. ball hit you. Okay. Uh, so now the first one, the first time sounds like you were being brave. You were doing what you're supposed to do. You're out in the front. You're, you know, you're the point man or point person and you got hit in the face. And sometimes that happens, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and here's, here's the deal in practice. When you get hit in the face, that always sucks because it hurts because there's nothing really at stake, right? In a game, you get hit in the face and it hurts a little bit, but Hey, I made the save, you know, Mm -hmm. and and you got that game adrenaline going so it's like doesn't quite hurt as much you know so but unfortunately you got hit in the face twice in practice so it's like what like what's going on here you know and um so and and the standing by the goal thing every every coach deals with this with kids you know or, or with with goalkeeper players even college kids you if you're going to stand by the goal you have to pay attention mm -hmm. you can talk to each other Right. And you can, you know, you can, you know, you're not working. That's cool. And you can go get balls and everything, but you have to keep, you know, your folk, you have to be aware of your surroundings because you can get hit in the head or hit in the face and without expecting it. And that's when it hurts the most because you kind of expected to get, I mean, you, you knew when you were playing up at the point person in the, in the first time, Hey, I might get hit in the face, you know? Right. But if yeah. you're standing by the goal, you're not expecting it, and then all of a sudden, whack. Yeah, that's that's worse. So I wanted to kind of jump over to your working in the sporting good companies. So when did you start working with Roish to start off with? Uh, I have I have been a consultant with Roish for about 20 years. How and why did you start working with Roish then? The gentleman who owns the Roish distributorship in the United States is he's a gentleman named Dave Banning. I've known Dave Banning for close to 35 years now. Uh, we're good friends. And he asked if I would consult with Royce USA and help them with their grassroots marketing, which is means simply getting goalkeeper coaches to wear the product, getting pros to wear the product, that kind of thing. Uh, along those lines, you know, I had worked for the Adidas International 
for three or four years when Adidas first came out with uh, finger save gloves. So I was on the design team for that and knew a lot about goalkeeping, not just from playing, but obviously from product as well. So you had said that you a while back that the sporting goods company was also how you helped to helped finance helped yourself financially. Did you always want to go into sporting goods as well? Yeah, I, I, I when I was growing up, we had a we had a little sports shop in our town called Louisa's Sports Shop, and that's where you kind of hang hung out, you know. So we, you know, it was just I, I always I always thought that was the greatest thing, you know. Uh, then if I could ever have a, a, a sporting, a sports shop or a soccer shop or a, a hockey shop that I would have one where I could just, you know, it's kind of what you did in high school. You, you, you finished high school and you walked downtown and you, you, you had a Coca-Cola and you went into Louise's and hung around for an hour and a half. And then you went home or did whatever you're going to do. It's just kind of like the gathering place. So I, I had always been interested in doing that. To ask you about how the business climate has been for Roy during this global pandemic. It's been interesting because, uh, you know, because of the pandemic, no one's playing soccer much. And so sales have dropped off a little bit. I mean, we still have, you know, we still have people buying gloves, but not certainly not the way they would if camps were ongoing and tournaments were ongoing and state cups were ongoing and ECNL was ongoing and that kind of thing. So it has, it has affected us, but, um, you know, it's certainly if you compare it with, you know, the restaurant industry or something like that, we haven't been that hard hit. So why is it so important to support small businesses like these during these times? Well, it's important so that people, you know, you help people have a livelihood. I mean, you know, we're, we're going through right now with this, with this uh, COVID-19 People are really having, we're sort of getting an awakening call here because everybody, everybody kind of thought, oh, it's gone now. We can go out back outside and we don't have to wear masks and we can just do whatever we want to. No, the virus is still here. So we're kind of getting an awakening of, we got to look out for each other. You know, we got to take care of each other. And um, along those lines, you know, if you can support, you know, a local restaurant or a local business that's a small business, you should. Uh, because they need they need your help to survive, and you know I think we're kind of hopefully we're all kind of learning that lesson through this, which is it's a terrible way to learn a lesson, but maybe in the long run it it will help everybody. So I know with Royce you work to support athletes and coaches. What are some of the things you look for in these athletes or coaches? Uh, we look for people that will represent our brand um, well. And by that, I mean, um, you know, uh, will be aware that when they're, when they're doing, when they're involved in a soccer event and they're wearing Roish, that they are sort of an ambassador of the, of the brand name. And so we want people, uh, and coaches and players who recognize that, who are, uh, happy to be involved with us, um, uh, who have some loyalty and, um, who we can, you know, are, are generally considered good, good people, you know? Um, and so that's, that's kind of what we look for. Um, you know, and we have, we have people that they want to get sponsored and we get, I get emails and they want to get sponsored and, you know, 
they kind of embellish what they're doing. And the problem, as you know, with goalkeeping, everybody kind of knows everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can pretty much quickly figure out, hey, maybe this guy's, you know, trying to pull the wool over my eyes. And, and um, but generally, you know, we've been very fortunate in that the, the, the coaches and the pros that we've selected to work with have been very loyal to us and have really helped us further the brand. So I know you help support Addie Gay as a part of it. And I kind of wanted to talk about, because I am personally another shorter goalkeeper. How do you support <laughs> short goalkeepers? Well, I think I, I have always had a saying with goalkeeping is that if you're good enough, you're big enough. Okay. Um, you know, you look at somebody like Adelaide Gay. She, she's not a giant you know, um, but she figures out a way to get the job done. Okay. You look at somebody like John Bush, not a giant, but he figures out a way to get the job done. Um, And every goalkeeper needs to figure out what works best for them and incorporate that into their game uh, and try things. I mean, it's always great to get, you know, I always encourage goalkeepers work with as many goalkeeper coaches as you possibly can, because everybody has a little bit of a different philosophy. And as a goalkeeper, even though you've got the greatest goalkeeper coaches in the world, and you know, you have, you have, you go to camp shutout and you've got great goalkeeper coaches here, you know, you got a million of them, but nobody has all the answers. Right. And so for Anna, she's got to figure out what works best for her. And, and take that part of it and make it, you know, make it your bread and butter, right? You always work on your weaknesses because you know what they are and you want to make them better. But just because one coach may say, well, Anna, you got to work more with your left foot or you have to be totally dominant with your left foot. Well, maybe you don't have to be totally dominant with your left foot. Maybe you got to work with it, you know, and, and improve it, you know. And so I think, I think physical dimensions and height all come into that. Right. I mean, when I was when I was playing, I was a very big soccer player at the time. Okay. Now they're you know now players are bigger and stronger and they're you know. But when I was playing, I was big. Well, I was tall. Okay. And I was if if I had to go to ground, it was dude. I couldn't get up very quick. You'd have to call in cranes and hoist me back up like a statue and and that kind of thing. And so I figured out pretty quickly, you know what, if I can catch the ball, then I can get up as quick as I, as slowly as I want to, because I have the ball, right? And if I can't catch the ball, I have to make a decision quickly and parry it farther enough away that I can, I have a little bit of time to get up. And so again, I adapted those parts to my game, right? And, you know, because I was tall, I didn't really worry about giving away corners very much. You know, because I most of the time I could catch the, I could go out and get get the collect the cross, but you know maybe somebody like Bushy or Adelaide or yourself is like you know what, I'm better off parrying a ball out to the side than I am giving away a corner. You know, uh, now for low shots, you guys are much better at probably getting them to get getting to them than I would be. You know, so you you know you kind of you kind of figure out what's your best way forward and work, you know, work to your strengths, you know, try to improve your weaknesses, but, but maximize your strengths. What should a goalkeeper do if a coach won't give them a chance because they are short? 
first thing to do is talk to the coach. And, you know, I've always appreciated, I've always thought you should be honest with the, with the coach. Okay. I've always thought the coach should be honest with you. So I think if you have a meeting with the coach, you say, coach, I've noticed you're not playing me much. Is it because I'm short? You know, and just put it to them, right? I mean, just like that, you know, no hard feelings or anything. It's just, you know, and if he says, yep, yep, Anna, you're too short. Well, maybe you need to find another coach, you know, because, you know, it's kind of predisposed that you're not, you're not this guy's cup of tea, right? And as a goalkeeper, you don't want to be in that situation. You want a chance where you have a chance to compete and play, you know, because there's only one goalkeeper, right? So, um, I think the first, the first thing is be, be honest with the coach and expect the coach to be honest with you. And, um, you know, I've, I've always said my, my son was a hockey goalie. And when he first started playing hockey, you know, I tried to find him the absolute worst team that I could find for him, you know, because he would get shelled every game. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. what you, you know, nothing teaches you like the game. Right. So if you're, you know, if you're, a, if you're a soccer goalkeeper and you, you know, you're, you, you're not happy with your coach or your coach is like, well, you're too short. You're not going to play fine. Go find another team. And if you go find another team, find a bad one, you know, because you want to be the key player in that team. That's going to help your development as a player. So I think we've made it to our final question, which I always ask. What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? Oh, uh, hmm, that's an easy one, pretty much. For I hope people, I think I hope people remember uh, that. Well, first of all, for my impact on the world, I hope people remember that I was a good father and that you know I helped raise children and and. Um, the lady that married me was happy with me and you know that part that part of life was good and that the people the kids that we've brought into the world and taught how to live in the world go on and 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 do well and treat people like they want to be treated um as far as soccer goes you know i i hope that uh i hope that people just realize that you know i've always believed it's a game and it should be fun and if you're not having fun playing this game, find another game, you know, because sports were invented for, for fun. Sports weren't invented, you know, so that we could, so that you could be a millionaire and fly around in your private jet and have a yacht. Very few people who play sports get that opportunity. Okay. And I'm not saying they don't work for it. They do. But that's not what sports were invented for. Sports were invented. They're games. That's why they call them games because it's fun. And if, it, and if you don't have fun, you know, what's, what's the point, you know, um, you know, you, you, you probably will work at some point in your life at a job that you're not really thrilled with. And I always tell my kids, you know, yes, you're going to have to go through that because you gotta, you gotta provide for yourself. But in the meantime, try to find a job that, that you will enjoy. But I think with sports, it, it has to be fun or find something that's more fun for you because it has to be enjoyable. So I would hope that, you know, when I'm gone, that people would say, yeah, he was a, he was a great coach, but he was, he was a a nicer guy. And and we always had fun when we were working with him.
Evie really wants to grow the game. When he talked about sponsored athletes and coaches, it was neat to hear he didn't only look for the best GK with the biggest save. When I think about athletes my age in college recruiting, it's almost the exact same. People want to surround themselves with good people. They want the whole package. I can't wait to visit with Evie again in the future. I know he has a bunch more stories of keepers he has worked with and grown over the years. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and until next time, remember to keep the game beautiful. Beautiful.